0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado.
1: In the name of Jesus, Amen. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is kind of a strange question, right? Because we don't expect John the Baptist to be having questions about Jesus. You know, we expect John the Baptist to be steadfast, to, to say, no, well, there's no question about you, Jesus, whatsoever. And yet here is a question. So what does this mean? Has John's imprisonment shaken his faith in Jesus as the Christ? Well, think about it for a second. It's not too unreasonable, I suppose. John had spoken about the coming of Christ in In terrifying and powerful terms that Jesus would come, the Christ would come, and vengeance and power and divine wrath was quickly coming upon the world. And yet Jesus couldn't even stop the wicked men who threw John into prison. So where was Jesus' vengeance and justice? How could he let his own prophet languish in the hands of unbelievers? And from this perspective, I suppose it's reasonable to say that John shouldn't only have had his faith in Jesus shaken, he probably should have lost it altogether. Now, if John's opinions about the Christ were formed and shaped by the vanities of the world, this might be true. But John preached the Christ not of human imagination, but of Holy Scripture. He preached the Christ who comes not to enact a kingdom of worldly justice, but to save men from their sin. Jesus would indeed fulfill all that John had said about him, but it happens in Jesus' own timing, and not in the way that everyone would expect. John clearly taught the person and work of Christ from the very first leap in his mother Elizabeth's womb to this last question posed to Jesus through his disciples. There is no question whatsoever that John the Baptist fulfilled his office. Jesus said about him that the changing winds of men's doctrine could not shake him. Jesus pointed out that the soft clothing of worldly honor meant nothing to John. Instead, he decided to honor God's word. John was more than a mere prophet, Jesus said, because John had the honors to stand and to point to someone who was standing in front of him, to say that this man, yes, this man, is the Christ, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. John's question also served this purpose. It pointed to Jesus, the long-expected Christ who has finally come. You know, I think that John's concern wasn't for himself as much as it was for his disciples. His disciples who hadn't yet left him. Which is a bit strange because they were going against everything that John had preached and taught to them. And yet they insisted on staying with the baptizer. Others, like Andrew and John, believed their teacher's testimony and became Jesus' followers. But something was holding this skeptical group back. Maybe it was that they weren't convinced that Jesus had lived up to everything that John had said about him. Or perhaps they thought that John was a better candidate to be the Christ than Jesus, which isn't so much of a far-fetched thought. Because, first of all, John was a powerful preacher. He had compelling words to tell the people, compelling words that drew them out of the cities and into the desolate regions to be baptized in a muddy little river called the Jordan. Second, John was a man fit for his times. Because under the oppression of foreign rule, now more than ever, was there a great sense of expectation and anticipation among the Jewish people for the Messiah to finally come. They were waiting for the promises given to their ancestors to be fulfilled in their own lifetimes. They were eager for deliverance. John had the courage to denounce the people who were in power. And this gave the people hope that maybe this man, who was able to speak this way, maybe this man is the one. And so when the Pharisees heard about John and all the people who were coming out to him, what was the first question that they asked John? They asked him, are you the Christ? And what did John say? No, I am not the Christ. Then the Pharisees asked him, well, then what are you doing out here baptizing people? What's all this business with water and repentance? John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's no small thing that John comes to baptize, because it's through baptism that he's teaching us the kind of deliverance that the Christ is going to bring. And he's teaching the people the kind of deliverance that they should desire and want. In fact, that's why John was a great preacher of the law. He told the crowds that the Lord's coming should strike terror into their hearts. He didn't tell them to pick up weapons and to fight the Romans. They may have wanted that, but he didn't say that. Instead, he cut to the heart of the true problem that they had. The fact that the whole world stood under judgment because of its sin. God's kingdom was quickly coming and was indeed already in their midst. And if God comes on account of sin, then John wanted the Jews to know that they had just as much reason to be afraid as the Romans. And this is why John pointed sinners to the way of repentance instead of calling them to take up arms. But John was also a true preacher of the gospel. His baptism wasn't some work that the people had to do to earn or to gain the favor of God. Instead, this was a baptism into the forgiveness of sins, something that only God could give. Through this baptism, John taught that God isn't merely angry with people. He wants to save them. He taught that God loves them, and he doesn't want anyone to be lost to the unquenchable fire of judgment. Indeed, this is exactly what John's own father, Zechariah, prophesied after the birth of his son. He said that John would come to give knowledge of salvation to God's people and the forgiveness of their sins. And in fact, this was the theme and the heart of John the Baptist's message. When he finally points to Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, despite this beautiful proclamation of law and gospel, John's disciples insisted on clinging to their teacher as if he could give them something that Jesus couldn't. And then when Jesus started to steal John's thunder, when all the crowds who used to come out to John to hear him preach were now going over to where Jesus was to hear him preach, John's disciples became concerned. And so they, they came up to John and to, to voice their displeasure and, and their confusion about why he was letting this happen. Now you can almost see the smile on John the Baptist's face as he told this to his disciples. He said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist is the bridegroom's friend. And he was cast into prison with a fulfilled and completed joy, knowing that Jesus was now working to save the people, to save the world from their sin. Now, after hearing this, the remainder of John's disciples should have left everything to follow Jesus. But they didn't. Even their master's imprisonment couldn't deter them. Which is ironic since when Jesus was captured and arrested, his disciples fled him. <laughs> so what was it that attracted them to John? Was it his ascetic lifestyle? The fact that uh, you could tell he was a holy man of God because he wore rough clothing and ate a strange diet? Maybe it was the fasting. Jesus, after all, was called by his opponents a drunkard. He even decided to feast with sinners. Now, how could the Christ, who comes to bring about righteousness and justice, feast with sinners? And this is our problem, friends. Instead of being happy with the Christ who is set before us in Holy Scripture, we chase after false Christs who fit our own desires for justice and righteousness in this world. And I think that we also love the preaching of the law too often than we love, more often than we love the preaching of the gospel. Because mercy and love, well that seems a little bit weak and unfair. And so we chase after these preachers of the law. We're attracted to them because they won't abide the company of sinners. They promise that you can have holiness your own holiness in this life right now. And because of that holiness, God will look at you and then bless you with all kinds of good things like success and wealth, long life. Now I think that we also, perhaps, have a tendency to put Christ-like expectations on other people when we shouldn't. And so I think about the people that we might do this with, you know, maybe social activists, pastors, Peyton Manning... (laughs) We expect so much from them. And they promise us a lot. And they inspire us to be better people. We expect them to give us measurable results of righteousness right here on this earth. In our own lives and in the lives of others. But our faith that we place in them will always be misplaced. Because they're just as much sinners as we are. And John knew that this was the temptation that was dwelling in his disciples' hearts. Now, instead of chastising them, John is is a wise preacher. He sends him to the one man who can convince them. He sends them to Jesus, who alone can inspire true fear, love, and trust in God's promises, because the Spirit of God was with him. And so you can almost see, as as John the Baptist's disciples came and gathered around Jesus, Jesus looking at these uncertain men who were standing there. Now, their faith had been shaken. They didn't know what to think of this Christ who was willing to let his own prophets languish in prison. But with compassion and understanding, Jesus proceeded to teach these men about the true nature of God's kingdom, the kingdom that the Christ would establish. Jesus said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus was bringing to their minds all the familiar texts that they would have heard both in the synagogue and from John himself. Jesus said, if you don't believe John's testimony, at least hear it from the Holy Scriptures. Hear the Holy Scriptures, and then see what I am doing to fulfill them. Remember Isaiah the prophet, what he said about the Christ. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, according to Luke's account of this same event, Jesus, indeed, in in their presence, was healing people and casting out demons. And then, he preached. He told the poor people who were gathered around him, those who were in poor in spirit, that God's kingdom has drawn near, not to destroy, but to save them. Jesus preached that today is the year of the Lord's favor, And this favor is because divine vengeance was quickly coming upon God's own Lamb. And through this Lamb sacrifice, all who mourn because of their guilt are acquitted, and they find comfort and peace with God. Now, no clearer or better testimony of Jesus' true identity of being the Christ could have been provided to John's disciples. But this good news could not stay with Jesus in the crowd there that day. And so what did Jesus do? He turned these, these reluctant disciples into evangelists and he sent them back to John. You see, even the greatest of saints cannot live on bread alone, especially at the end of their lives. In this final confrontation with death, we discover what truly sustains us. And Jesus would not let John the Baptist perish without the comfort and the peace that he had now given to his disciples. And so Jesus sent them back to John, so that the poor, yes, even the imprisoned, could have the good news preached to them. Now, can you imagine John the Baptist's face when he heard this wonderful report from his disciples? He must have beamed with joy because his Savior had remembered him in his afflictions and told him the one thing that could give him true comfort in this life that even though he may lose his life for the sake of the kingdom of God, he still has resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. John's question to Jesus and Jesus' response is exactly what you need to hear today. It teaches you that God's kingdom is more than just an earthly enactment of justice. It's a kingdom that enacts justice between God and men through a Christ who suffers and dies for the sake of sinners. It's in this kingdom that Jesus preaches the good news to poor souls just like you. Poor souls who are trapped in bondage to guilt and in fear of death. Through the scriptures where we hear the voices of John, the prophets, and the evangelists, we learn to turn from our false Christs to the true Christ, who alone gives the Spirit to sustain and to bless us with faith. As Jesus was there for John in his final hour, so he is here now with you to love you and to comfort you through his holy word. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus into life everlasting. Amen.